electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the biggest battle for your money with a COVID vaccine still months away. Should you continue to buy stocks or prepare for another pullback? We debate that with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today are Josh Brown, Steve Weiss, John Nigerian, and Jenny Harrington, the CEO and Portfolio Manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Let's take a look at stocks. As you know, the Dow is lower. Value trade having some trouble again. Dow's down 150. NASDAQ's been basically flat, a little bit negative. Now it's popping uh, just a touch into positive territory, albeit slightly. So Steve Weiss, I, I go to you first. You know, virus cases are exploding, 145,000. Hospitalization's new record. Stay-at-home stocks are up. Reopen stocks are down. And I'm just wondering in the sort of bigger picture, but bringing it down to the, the sort of ground floor level, you just bought Delta Airlines the other day. Okay? We just talked about it. And I'm wondering if now you're reassessing that kind of move and whether other people should too. Well, Delta was a small position, and my portfolio is not very well balanced. It's all in growth. So I, so I took a shot. I'm not going to buy any more here. These airlines, and Brad Gerstner pointed it out, and he's the ultimate uh, airline bull. Uh, his fund's name Altimeter, after all. Shareholders uh, are going to be diluted ongoing, on an ongoing basis, this year, next year, as they seek to replace, equ- replace their bonds, their debt, with equity. So I do think, you know, in reference to what Kramer said this morning, he's right. Uh, and ignore these COVID cases at your own peril. So next couple of months, probably next three months, can be very rocky from an economic standpoint, as there's no appetite on the part of this administration to take any kind of stand on controlling COVID, as we recently heard, on a stimulus package. So I think you're seeing this unwind. In some of the stocks, it can be very selective, but the economically sensitive stocks are, in my view, not a place to be. You will get them much cheaper, and unfortunately, that includes Delta. I can't imagine people buying with 49 states seeing cases at a level they saw when this thing first started. But that's not, Jenny, the narrative that was earlier in the week. It was virus news is great news, so it's time to load up on the reopen stocks. And I just wonder if we need to dial that back, take a look at where rates are. Rates are coming down. As rates come down, it's going to be awfully hard to get people to buy value stocks as COVID cases continue to soar. Well, I disagree um, about it being hard to get people to buy value stocks. I think this all depends on your time frame. So when Steve just said, at your own peril, I think at your own peril depends on your time frame. And if you have a long enough time frame, and I don't mean crazy, I mean out 12 months, you can buy these stocks and you should buy these stocks because as we look forward six, nine, 12 months out, 
things are going to be significantly better. And that's what the market does. It prices in what, what's out 12, you know, nine, six, nine, 12 months. So I think convincing people to buy the value stocks isn't really that hard. And again, you know, I hate calling them value stocks. I like thinking of them as more of the have not stocks. But let's take Marriott, for example. Marriott's been whacked throughout all of this. But when you think about it in 12 months from now, business should be fine. There are not long-term negative impacts to their business from what's happened to, during COVID. In fact, probably it's quite positive. So if you have a long enough time horizon, this is just fine. The other thing, and I think the reason why we had such a positive response on Monday and Tuesday was because it was such a relief just to know that we're not looking into an endless abyss. You know, when cases spiked early in the year in April and sorry, in March and April, and then in July, it was like an abyss. And right now we're looking into a dark, bleak period, but there is a finite end coming to our misery and our lockdowns. Okay. And that is very emotionally comforting. I ag agree with everything you said um, about the light at the end of the tunnel finally seems as mm -hmm. though it's there. Still have a ways to go and we still have to get through the pain of the next mm -hmm. several months. Um, what's in front of us. So, Josh, is it really, as Jenny says, a time frame debate? at this point, or does the investor need to focus more on the here and now? This is where I see the battle. It's either you're looking to the point of the vaccine and beyond, or you're focused on the here and now and the potential economic pain and virus pain that lies uh, straight ahead. I'm gonna agree with uh, Jenny from the blockchain. I think, she, uh, I, I think she's saying something that we probably don't talk about enough uh, time frames. And, you know, I don't think her clients are like, Jenny, how much money are we gonna make in the month of November? If they are, then she should fire them. They're not good clients. She can't really help them. They have a problem that transcends her ability. But her clients are probably not saying that to her. So does she have to be on the right side of the momentum trade in the market no, on, but, on a daily, weekly basis? I, I hear you, but they not may really. also... I hear you, uh, just forgive me for one second, but they could also be saying, Jenny, I don't want to lose a lot of money in the month of November and December and January. It may not necessarily That's be- That's an all right. Okay. I got you. It may not necessarily I got you. Yeah, yeah. be, let's make all this money. Let's not lose this money. That's an asset allocation question. So the question right. is, how much, equities makes, how much equities make sense for me? Because- it really doesn't matter if your value growth, you could lose 20% in any stock any day. So that's like how much stocks, how much bonds, how much cash. That's a different conversation. I want to throw up a couple of charts here. I don't know if we have these ready. Um, I, asked, I, I asked for these because I think we have to stop with this, um, with this uh, in and out of the, the work from home stocks or in and out of the epicenter stocks. I recall a period of time in 2011 where we were playing this on versus off game meaning risk on, risk off. And we would say on Tuesday, oh, it's a risk on day. On Wednesday, it's a risk off day. And it got so goofy that by the end of the year, Dennis Gartman created two ETFs, ONN and OFF. And people with a straight, they were ETNs, worse than, worse than ETFs. And they were like bets on commodities and they were 150%, uh, percent, so they were using leverage. And like, if you thought today was a risk off day, you would buy OFF. Now, I don't need to tell you how this ended. 2014, three years later, um, they, they were liquidated because they were nonsense. Um, but that kind of um, way of looking at the market always ends up being nonsense. So here, here's what I'm going to tell you. Nobody knows 
the night before if today's going to be a vaccine stock day or a work from home stock day. You can't know because you don't know what's going to be in the headlines. So ignore it. Don't play the game. And now let's look at these charts. These stocks are not all created equal. I'm going to show you first, first things first. Zoom. It had a 30% correction and it's still above its 200-day moving average. That's how extended it was. But it's still in a longer-term uptrend. It's still in a bull market. Peloton, same story. Huge correction. Now it's bouncing. Never even came close to kissing that 200-day moving average. Let's take a look at um, CrowdStrike, which I own. Another situation, still in an uptrend. But now you've got breakdowns. Teladoc and eHealth, they're supposed to be this great work-from-home place. They are no longer rallying on, on, on the work-from-home days. In fact, both of them are now below their 200-day moving average and look like garbage. Look at Wayfair, it looks terrible. Look at Overstock, it looks terrible. So we are separating work from home versus just true blue secular growth stories. And the latter are the ones you want to focus on. I just feel like, John, if, if, you, if you believe what Jenny's saying, you know, under Jenny's scenario, and, and certainly, I mean, you know, she, she's entitled to it, um, you, you buy Marriott, you buy cruises, you buy airlines, you buy banks, and all of those stocks that are going to work on the other side of COVID, because as she said, her time frame is more looking a year from now, nine to 12 months, than nine to 12 minutes. So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering what the average Joe is supposed to do um, looking at the market and thinking about the end of COVID or the other side of the vaccine, but realizing that you've got a potentially long and treacherous bridge to get there. Yeah, well, Scott, let's put investors on a bell-shaped curve. I mean, we do a lot of what we do, of course, based on bell-shaped curves. And the middle of that curve is, of course, when you were in school, is the C students. That's the high peak on that curve. Are the students 68% of occurrences should be in there. Now, those are people with a much longer time frame. And that's most investors, 68%. Now, you push it out to the right or the left, and you get into the more quick twitch sort of traders. And this is where those 8 million people that are now trading through Robinhood and the online brokers, this is where they are. Uh, they are much shorter time frame. So to Josh's point and Jenny's, these are people um, who are trading, not investing. Not investing for six months from now mm -hmm. when the vaccine starts getting distributed. These are people that are trying to catch or at least ride that wave when it starts happening, whether it's for Zoom or Apple or Logitech, whatever it is, Scott. So knowing that, um, what would I say to the investor, as you said, um, that, that is worried about that ridge or that ledge, you know, we got to get over that ledge. I'd listen to what Jenny said as far as if I can pick up some of those uh, epicenter stocks, Tom Lee calls them, if I could pick up some of those stocks on the lower ends of their bounds, and many of them are there again. Delta's there again. American Airlines is there again. Marriott is not. Marriott's on the upper end of this uh, bound that it's been on lately because it's had more of a recovery than those other guys have. Um, I, I would say that of that group, Scott, if you're picking up those airlines on the cheap, cheap, um, cruise lines, if you can pick them up on the cheap, cheap, then do that with that six-month time horizon. Um, but 
I would still say put some bands on those graphs and look at which ones are at the lower band and which ones are at the upper. Now, I'm not critical of your pick, Jenny, in the case of um, Marriott. I think it's a great stock. Um, but it's on, you know, what it, whether it's 115 a share mm -hmm. or wherever it is right now, um, it's a lot higher than any of those airlines right now. And so I'd say I'd be more of a buyer for a six-month-out time frame of those airline stocks, Scott, than I would of at least Marriott and some of the hotel stocks. Weiss, you wanted to respond to, to Jenny and Josh? Yeah, first of all, my time frame is on my core portfolio at least a year and generally a lot longer. But we talk about these value stocks. We talk about these cyclical stocks like they've done nothing. Let's keep in mind that Caterpillar had declining earnings just to pick them out before COVID started. As a matter of fact, for the last five years. Yet the stock has doubled from the lows and is up from the pre-COVID high of about 140 to where it is now, which is ridiculous. So even on the old peaks, these stocks didn't value They're more overvalued in my mind than, than a lot of the technical stock, technology stock, growth stocks. Then let's talk stay-at-home stocks. Yeah, when the market gives you opportunity, you take it. I sold Peloton at 130. Don't, don't be delusional, think that Peloton is growing in perpetuity. It's not. It's a COVID-related stock, and they pulled a lot of growth forward, maybe growth they never would have had. So Josh is looking at the technicals. That's one discipline. My discipline is fundamental. Both work sometimes, both don't work. But let's not, let's not just say, uh, here's the 200-day moving, moving average. It didn't go below it. No, Fine. But, but, and but finally, Josh, I, hold on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hold on. Uh, you know, I want you to respond to that, Josh, because I, I know you're looking at more than, than simply technicals. And Steve, the, the fact of the matter is that what became COVID stocks, so to speak, are going to be the rest of our lifestyle stocks. I mean, people are not all, all of a sudden going to stop, Josh, buying Peloton. And in fact, maybe they've introduced their product um, to a lot I more don't, people. I don't really disagree. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really disagree with Steve. Um, I, I'm, I'm referencing 200-day moving average just purely as a way of showing that some of these stocks that are in that group are still in uptrends and some aren't. I'm not saying it's the right risk management method. I'm just saying it's, it's it's a way of gauging, is the stock going up or down on a reasonable time frame? It's, and, and, it's, it's no longer going up. And I agree with uh, that. If, it, and, if it's and, below. I agree with that. Sorry, Josh. I, I agree with that. And Josh made brilliant calls in getting to Zoom and getting to Teladoc, which I still haven't bought, and I wish I did. Uh, and their business is durable. But the market's giving them a premium is my point. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure Josh is disagreeing right. with this. Yeah, no, right. no, no. And, and where nobody, they should be. 100%. I mean, you're, you're 100% right. Of course, of, yes, of course you can, Jenny. The, the market, of course, is giving a premium um, to, to a lot of those names, and, and for, for good reason. Jenny, go ahead. Right, and I think there are times for fundamental analysis and times for technical analysis, and that's what this conversation is basically hitting, you know, hitting it right now. So Josh is looking at it from a technical perspective. Steve and I are looking at it more from a fundamental. And I think Zoom is super interesting to use as the poster child here right now because you have a phenomenal business. We all love Zoom. I love it so much. I've never used it so much. At the same time, the premium valuation is irrational. So let's look at the actual numbers on Zoom. Consensus for two years from now says that they're going to earn $3.25 a share. That shows a ton of earnings growth between now and then. Let's say consensus is wrong and they earn $4 a share. Let's take that $4 a share, 
give them double Apple's multiple right now, roughly double, 60 times earnings, right? Let's give them that. That would be a $240 stock. That represents a 43% decline from where it's trading now. And I think this is really the heart of where we're standing right now, which is the stories and the COVID stocks and how they've been lifted up and then the reality. And I think the reality is setting in and I think this is gonna be a battle between fundamental and technical analysis and we'll, we'll see which wins out. But you know I skew towards the side but of fundamental. But it won't be a battle. It won't be a battle. Jenny, Jenny, it won't be a battle because mm -hmm. if you're right and this company has no chance at living up to those fundamental expectations, the momentum traders who are in this stock will get stopped out of it. They're not gonna ride it down 200 points. That's not what okay. they do. So if they're using technicals, they're, they're basically saying, here's, here's my risk management in case Jenny's right. They're not gonna disagree with you. You think they care what, what the price to sales ratio is on Zoom? They don't care. The only people so on earth that lose, care Josh? about things like that are, are the people who are short these stocks. The longs don't care. But Josh, who's going to lose? Who's going to lose the money who's invested now and have that stock either plateau or drift down between well, now let me and ask when you a question. the rational valuation yeah, takes over? Good question. If you own a stock, if you own a stock from 100 to 500 and you're using a 10-month weekly closing uh, moving average as your risk management Fair enough. and you don't get hit until you're already up hundreds of percentage points and then one day you get hit because the company misses an earnings or, or something, all right, whatever. You didn't get out at the top. Why do you have to? So I think the mentality of people that invest in the IBD 50 names or the IBD 100 names, right? Like that, that classic can slim, people looking for both fundamental momentum mm -hmm. as well as good charts. Those people don't fall in love with the Zoom story. They're in love with the stock because the stock, that's not unrequited love right now. One day it will be. They will not get out at the top, but they're not going to ride it to zero. It's just not how those... Those well, market participants behave. So, what, what are you? A uh, uh, $122 billion market cap for, for Zoom. You've got a note today from Bernstein that talks about revenue potential of $25 to $40 billion and a $300 billion market cap. It sort of goes to my point a little bit of, you know, when COVID ends, Zoom doesn't end. Um, we are firmly, Correct. they say, quote, it's in a the household word. That, that's right. No. We are, hold on. But the hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on, Jenny. I'll get back to you. Uh, th this is from the note. Uh, I'm just quoting here. We are firmly in the uh, former camp of true believers, as we believe it's a differentiated platform. It's not easily replicated, already established network effects, and provides superior reliability quality. Um, outperform is their rating. Their price target is $611. Jenny. So they're... they're earnings would need to grow to get to 611 with a reasonable multiple their earnings would need to grow like a hundred percent for several years on end and i think that this is where there's been a problem this year the difference between the magnitude of growth and the sustainability of that growth right and bernstein's right it's a great platform but i'm not sure what their earnings estimate is to get there and it's probably irreal not realistic and i don't know what multiple they're assigning but i think that at some point 188 times multiples are not realistic to be using. Josh. So, you know, Scott, what Scott, if I, I told you, the what if I told you, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Josh, go first, then Weiss, you follow Josh, please. Okay. What, what if I told you their shareholders aren't concerned with what they earn over the next four or even eight quarters and are focused on other metrics that are a better guide to how profitable the company could be 
should it reach its full potential and join the ranks of the sales forces, the Googles, the companies that are now indispensable, irreplaceable um, technology juggernauts? Like, what if I told you that's what the growth fund managers who have the money invested in Zoom still, after all this time, are actually thinking about? Would you then care less about the earnings multiple on 2021 or 2022 numbers? No, I'll always care about the multiple. Would you agree it'll matter less? I asked the question wrong. I think that if, if the growth is to the sky, you know, to the moon and beyond, it deserves a higher multiple. But I don't know what that is. And I did live through, you know, everyone thinks I've always been a stodgy dividend investor. I actually owned these kinds of companies in 01, right, going into it. I made a ton of money from 97 to 01. And then it all fell apart because those multiples, everyone ignored it. And they thought that a 188 times multiple and an infinite multiple was sustainable. And they weren't. And, when they, and I don't think when I say fall apart, I don't mean go to zero. I just mean come from 188 times to Google's multiple of 33 times or you know, 76 times. And that shows either a long sustained plateau in these stocks or a decrease in the share prices. The, the, the fact of the matter is, Weiss, you know, we're, we're talking so specifically about Zoom, but this mm -hmm. conversation applies to so many different stocks that were right. in the, say, the, the, the Kramer COVID index or the, the stay at home names that you're gonna have to figure out the answer to this debate as an investor to know whether you know all of these things are going to work on the other side of COVID. just a very very select few will continue to work the as josh said the now they're household names right you i, I know there's there are other products you don't say i'm gonna with all due respect you don't say i'm gonna microsoft team somebody you say, let's Zoom. I mean, it, it's just the way it is. Regardless of how good the other products are, it has become part of our lexicon. So the, the greatest debate right now, because the vaccine is at the end of the tunnel and we can finally see the, the glimmering light, is to make decisions. If you've been in these names, do you continue to ride them or do you take the profits knowing that some of these may not be what they once looked like they could be? Well, if you listen to how Josh described Zoom, which is perfectly, you could have substituted the name Amazon there because that's their model. Mm -hmm. People don't care what they earn. They care about the moat they're constructing around them and they care about the execution. And that's all they care about right now with Zoom and some of the others. Unfortunately, of the names that were mentioned, I can only think of two, and I'm sure there are more, two that really have that moat around them, one being Zoom and one being Teladoc. Now, Microsoft is able to take Teams and say, if you want the rest of our product, you take Teams, forget about Zoom. There's not a high cost of really switching over from one to the other. So I'd be careful about that. The way I look at these stocks now, however, though, is that at best, the risk reward is balanced. So I probably have more downside in a Zoom than I have upside if they slip just more than one time. They've allegedly slipped already. I don't buy that. But with another vaccine coming, and I don't know if we'll talk about this later or not, from Moderna, we will. that's coming within a day to, okay, so we'll, we'll wait. But the point is, COVID is coming to an end at some point over the next six months. Mm -hmm. 
And so, again, the premium you've got in these is at least your risk factor. Execution is your other risk, risk right. factor. I don't think it makes any sense. And the ones that are going to lose money are the Robinhood day traders because 95% of all day traders lose money. They're going to get destroyed yep. in these stocks, let me, in my opinion. Let me send it to Steve Leisman, who has some breaking news for us. Uh, the Fed chair, Jay Powell, is speaking. Steve? Yeah, Scott, thanks very much. Fed Chair Jay Powell making his first comments since the uh, news on the vaccine came out. But he does say the economy will have a challenging next few months. Uh, the recovery, he says, was stronger than expected. But however, it's been uneven. Uh, and then talking about the resurgence of the virus, he said it is the main risk to the recovery. On the vaccine, he says it is welcome news, but welcome news for the medium term. I don't know how that figures into Weiss's calculus there or the whole trade on the desk there, but you have these two conflicting things going on, Scott, as you know, which is this resurgent virus that has some threat to the recovery uh, and this vaccine, which could solve all the problems. Back to you. Yeah, I mean, he. it sounds like he is where we are with our conversation here. Um, yes, the vaccine is, yeah. is great news. It's going to have a tremendously positive Medium impact, term. but you got to get across the bridge. And Jay Powell knows, as well as the, the, the most of the rest of us, that that bridge um, is dangerous, right? It's dangerous. You got to get from one side to the other, Steve. There's a palpable concern, Scott. You're absolutely right about the next few months. Um, these are numbers we haven't seen. You could easily describe the chart as parabolic. It's a chart. It's a phrase you'd rather associate with a stock price rising. Instead, we're associating it with the number of virus cases and unfortunately, maybe the number of deaths that are out there. Uh, and, and that's going to create a huge challenge. And Scott, if it doesn't come from government lockdowns, it could come from the voluntary avoidance of consumers. We saw today, uh, you know, the prices, 0% rises in inflation. That tells you of an economy that's performing below its potential with a rising or very large output gap right now that has to be something that's concerning to the Fed. Yeah, there is a bright light at the end of this tunnel, but there's a deep and dark tunnel before that light comes around. But how do you think Jay Powell's thinking about the vaccine and whether you think in any way that the Fed could take away some of the tonic earlier because the vaccine is going to be good based on the efficacy of, you know, in these trials that we've already seen and the fact that more <clears throat> are coming along the line that the experts say should be similar to what Pfizer talked about the, the other day. Does that change the Fed's calculus? He hasn't, he hasn't been asked about that. I got to talk to Mary Dale, the San Francisco Fed president, about that the other day. I asked her, <clears throat> noncommittal. I, I would think the, for the Fed this would be a high-class problem to solve. Um, and when I hear Powell talk about the issue when it comes to the vaccine right now, I don't see him in any hurry to declare the virus cured because of the existence of the vaccine. I think that question is going to come, Scott. I think it's an excellent question. I think it's one the Fed has thought about. But I think they're a long way from acting of removing any stimulus, particularly when you think about what I was talking about earlier, how much the economy is performing where it could be. I will say it is true that betting on a faster recovery, betting on stronger economic performance has been the way to make money in this market. I think a lot of your folks around the table have been there, but uh, maybe that's because Powell is worrying, so the rest of the folks don't have to. He's been very, very strong in terms of the amount of stimulus that's out there. He is, continues to call, by the way, Scott, for additional fiscal stimulus. As Congress is going to need to do more, and that's the virus, the vaccine notwithstanding. I, I was, that's exactly where I was going to go next, because there are these reports now today that the administration seems to be pulling away 
from stimulus in any way, shape or form. So it's, it's going to be a new President Biden's problem, so to speak, to, to deal with at a time where Powell has been out there very publicly urging Congress, these, all these sides to get together and, and have more stimulus. That's the other side of the conversation of, well, will they pull away any earlier because of the vaccine? He's saying the economy's in a world of hurt for a while. Yeah, I mean, Scott, if I could just correct it, and you know this, which is that it's in the first instance, it's the problem of the millions of Americans who are affected by this in terms of their joblessness, in terms of problems that are out there. You you still have 700,000 Americans filing for first time claims uh, in the data this morning. That may be flattered by the idea that some people are rolling off of claims. They don't qualify. And and you you have people filing for extended benefits. Those extended benefits are going to run out and they're going to run out before President Trump is supposed to leave office. So between now and January 20th, you may get you, you get, you're going to get a new president. But in that period of time, there's going to be a world of hurt out there, people who are losing their benefits and are going to need assistance as a result, in part, of this surge in the virus. No question. Absolutely no question about that. Steve, thank you. Appreciate it. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics okay. reporter. Steve, uh, Steve Weiss, you want to react to either Powell or Leisman? Yeah, well, yeah. You know, I talk to a lot of investors, as we all do, and one one of the questions keeps coming up is, what will the Fed do next? There's no stimulus. They've had their lending programs, which have had mixed results, and one's going to run out, by the way, at the end of the year, and it's unsure if it's going to be there. What can the Fed do now to give the market confidence? They've done so much. So Just it's going to be a really, really rocky <laughs> road, Just don't Steve. leave, right? Don't leave. <laughs> yeah. they, they don't necessarily exactly. have to do more. Just don't leave. Just, you know, stay around with the security yeah. blanket. We'll, we'll all feel OK. It's the first inkling of the Fed thinking about changing mm-hmm. anything, especially when things are so uncertain. I mean, you know, look, Powell just said that the virus remains the, the, the biggest risk to, to the recovery, right? The, the markets, you know, looks like it's down a little bit, um, maybe on his comments. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but you got to get to the other side. The, the Dow's now down 200 points. The reports are that the, the administration, the current one, is backing away from stimulus. There's not going to be help on the way for a while, to Leisman's point about these numbers, the people who are still unemployed, losing their jobs, trying to figure out how they're going to keep their restaurants open through a cold and, and, and dark winter. Uh, Doc, I see you raising your hand. Please, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, Scott. And... Uh I would say that uh, this is the cases uh, that are driving the market today because of the midterm nature of when the vaccine gets developed uh, and delivered and so forth. Not so much whether the administration supports stimulus. The administration has supported stimulus for months, but they can't get it through the Senate. And thus, you don't have an agreement between Senate and House. You know the whole story there, Scott. So whether or not the administration pushes it or not, if Mitch McConnell will not push in his Senate, then nothing's going to happen. And that's pretty obvious that nothing would happen. Um, and that's why we are where we are. There's nothing new about whether or not the administration supports or doesn't support. It's not going to drive the, the markets for more than seconds that that, you know, news reading algos see that. Well, other than that, it's a big nothing burger, I think. Can we throw up the VIX? I, I, I disagree. Hang, hang on a second. I, I disagree. Hang, hang on. I, I, wanna, that, I wanted to hang on. Yeah. Hang on, Sorry. Weiss. Forgive me, please. I wanted to ask you, John, about Sorry. about the VIX and volatility 
um, anyway in, in the first segment before we uh, ended up taking a break. And the, the reason why okay. I wanted to is you see the VIX up, you know, four, more four and a, a two-thirds percent today at 24.55. You know, Tom Lee is out with a note today that says a VIX below 20, which he thinks is ready to make a move below there, um, would be a, a huge buy signal for stocks, that it would be even more what he says firepower. <laughs> the, the, the question, what I'm thinking is that do we really expect volatility to collapse at a time when the virus is exploding? No. And when no, the... No, you shouldn't. I mean, I'm also thinking about, you know, you've, you've got a, a sitting president who refuses to acknowledge the results of the election, but the VIX is going to go mm -hmm. down below 20? John? The, the, the one of those two catalysts, Scott, that has the potential to send it down to the Tom Lee sort of numbers is, of course, uh, COVID cases. If they were to drop off dramatically, yeah, suddenly, yeah, they're not gonna. inexplicably between both of us. Right, exactly. So I think Tom is a really smart guy. I love following his work. I don't really think as far as the VIX that we're going to see a break of that until we see a break of, you know, if you'll pardon it, the pun, the fever that's out there as far as this, you know, pandemic. If that does break, Scott, then yes, he's right. We could go into the teens, but I don't see that. I don't think you see that. I think it just keeps bouncing around probably between 22 and 28 right now, Scott, unless we see an even bigger super spike than we've seen so far. Well, I mean, if the VIX is detached from reality, maybe it goes below 20. I don't know, but it just seems where the news flow yeah, is and things be. that are happening. It just doesn't seem like it's right. realistic on this planet. This is the super spike. Yeah. It is. This, All right, let's do this. this. Is the yeah, that's what I think, too. Let, let me do this, guys. I'll let yeah. everybody get in. I promise. I'll, I'll let, let, me, let me take a quick break. Sure. Weiss, I'll come to you first on the other side. I promise you that. Wall Street's getting ready for earnings from Disney. We need to talk about that. Cisco as well. Our investment committee takes their positions. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. A tragedy off the coast of Libya. At least 74 migrants have drowned after their ship capsized. Frantic rescue efforts have saved only 47 people. Since 2014, an estimated 20,000 migrants have died trying to cross the Mediterranean. In Tampa, Florida, residents are assessing flood damage as the big storm has moved to the northeastern part of that state. Across Florida, more than 25,000 customers are without power. Meantime, congressional Democratic leaders are urging Republicans to focus on battling COVID-19 and accept the presidential election results. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi compares the pandemic to a burning house on which Republicans refuse to pour water. On a happier note, one holiday tradition is being kept this year. The tree for the Rockefeller Center in New York City has been cut down in the upstate town of Oneonta. The 75-foot tree will eventually be decorated with 35,000 lights 
and the official lighting will be December 2nd and broadcast on our sister network, NBC. So at least that tradition didn't get canceled yet. We'll see. Scott, back to you. Thank goodness. You know, I was wondering about that. I know. I, I drove by there recently. And I was wondering if we we're going to see that. COVID is not going to keep every, everything down. I hope not. Yep. All we right, need Sue. it right now. Yeah, we do. Thanks, Thank Scotty. you very much. All right. That's Sue Herrera. All right, Steve Weiss, I told you I'd come back to you. Um, you must have had like five espressos this morning or something. Um, the now's your moment. <laughs> now's your At moment. Least. Okay. Got you, a great new machine. I, I recommend it. Uh, you uh, must. Look, um, all you, you added, is, hold on. I, what I yeah. wanted to ask you about you added, you, you mentioned it earlier, you yeah. added what you say is meaningfully to Moderna. Yeah, it was a big position. Keep in mind, I've been there about since the 20s with an initial position, and it's gotten bigger. And here's why I added some on the Pfizer news because Moderna sold down, and I added a little more yesterday. And I'm doing this with impunity. It's not because I'm way out in the risk spectrum. It's because, number one, they had great news on their cancer vaccine phase one yesterday. And number two, I think it's a superior drug to vaccine to Pfizer, uh, assuming the efficacy, which we don't know. But Fauci said it should be good. They use the same technology. And I'll tell you why. Because you can transport the Moderna vaccine at essentially freezer temperatures. You don't need any special facilities. You can also keep in a refrigerator for seven days. So transporting that at minus four degrees Celsius versus minus 70 is a major, major bonus and being able to refrigerate for seven days instead of one day also. Now, the reason why I added so meaningfully with impunity is because I looked at the options and I'm able to sell weekly calls and the data based upon the notice, the press release they put out at 401 yesterday, we'll see the data on the vaccine anytime from the next 24 hours to the next three days in terms of what their efficacy is. And I was able to protect the whole position for less than 1% of the price of the stock. That's like a gift. So I could lose a couple of points on it or I could make another 50 points on it. So that's why I added meaningfully. Okay, um, it's a great segue, Jenny, to Disney coming after the bell today with its earnings and you own that stock. Mm -hmm. Um, so tied to a vaccine and the other side uh, of whatever that's going to look like. Um, what are your expectations here? What do you advise people to do who are either in this stock or thinking about, you know, they're feeling more optimistic about things and they're thinking about buying it? I think you can buy it here. We added it in July a little bit lower, but it's still completely viable at what's it at 136 a share right now. So expectations are for 8 million subscriber ads for Disney Plus. And this is really where the story is right now. Focus on Disney Plus. When the parks reopen, that's the cherry on top. And that'll be a nice boost and a big deal and they have great assets. But you saw really positive stuff happen in the third quarter. So they had Hamilton and Mulan, which drove subscribers in the US. They had customer expansions in Western Europe and Indonesia. And then actually on CNBC, about a month ago on, in October, um, Bob Chapek is on and he was saying that they've exceeded growth in every geography in every month so far for Disney Plus. So it's hard for me to imagine that this isn't a really reassuring, comforting, positive quarter. You want to give me something quick on Cisco since you own that as well and they report too? Sure. So, you know, this one's a lot different where the bar is set very low. Analysts are expecting a negative 16% decline in earnings estimates. Stock is super cheap at 12 and a half times. So I would like to say it should be an easy quarter to beat. We could have, you know, a great number. But the last time I said that was Intel. Yeah, I was thinking And uh, I don't always do so well on those, yeah, on those easy quarters to beat. Sometimes they don't play out. So fingers crossed on Cisco. I wasn't, thinking about, I, I wasn't thinking about you saying it about Intel. I was just, I was literally thinking about, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what they were saying about Intel. 
heading in, and we all know what happened there. All yeah. right, good stuff. All right, when we come back, the big right. ETFs to watch. <laughs> Next, we'll uh, go to break, and we will take a look at the S&P sectors before we do that. Uh, we're at the lows of the day for the S&P, down about uh, a little more than 26 now. Com services are the best. The financials are the worst. Our energy is now uh, the worst. We're back after this. Welcome back. Bob Pisani here with the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. Traders talking about the continued resilience of online retail, although having a little tougher time of it today. Our guests, Todd Rosenbluth from CFRA and Christian Magoon from Amplify. Christian, let me start with you. Your Amplify online retail ETF has been a monster this year. It's up 88%. It is now a billion-dollar ETF. But some of your core holdings today have had a tough time of it. TripAdvisor down, Etsy down, Stitch Fix, Stitch Fix down, all on concerns about stimulus or lack thereof. Break this down for us. This is a sort of a diverse ETF. Where, what portions of it are working and what portions are not working? What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Yeah, thanks, Bob. iBuy is quite unique. A company has to have 70% or more of their sales from online or virtual uh, avenues. So you see a variety of different companies here. You see marketplace companies like Shopify, Amazon, Alibaba, Fiverr, Etsy. But you also get direct sellers like a, a Peloton, a, a Chegg uh, that go directly to the consumer. And then finally, there's actually some travel and transportation names that are uh, all online, which is like an Uber, Expedia, TripAdvisor. This is an equal-weighted portfolio. So you you don't have over concentration in these large market caps like Alibaba and Amazon. And some of these smaller pure play names have been some of our best performers this year. In fact, Amazon is just only 22, uh, number 22 in terms of our holdings. So we've got some definitely stay at home, shop and hope at home plays. But we also have some reopening uh, exposure here with some of the travel and transportation names as well. Yeah. Todd, there's other ways to play retail and you don't have to do it equal weighted. You could do market cap weighted. Van Eck has a retail ETF, RTH, that is the 25 largest market cap weighted out there. And actually, that's done surprisingly well this year. It's up about 30 percent. And it includes Amazon and includes Walmart and Target as well. Todd. That's right. So there's a couple of ways to play this from a market cap weighted perspective. You mentioned RTH, which is Van Eck Vectors. 
It includes not only Amazon uh, from the online side of the ledger, but Walmart and Target are some of the larger holdings. If you wanted a market cap weighted online ETF, ONLN, which is a ProShares product, which is also doing well this year, uh, heavy weighting within not only Amazon, but Alibaba, smaller stakes in some of the other companies. It's again, depending upon what you want and what's inside the portfolio that's going to drive future performance. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, and everybody, remember our ETF Edge show every Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. That's etfedge.cnbc.com. Half will be back in 30 seconds. All right, we're back. Let's bring in Rahel Solomon. She has a number of big analyst calls out today that we need to talk about. Rahel. And some popular names, Scott. Hi, good morning, good afternoon. RBC initiating coverage on Nike with an outperform. Price target is 145, so they call it a best-in-class global athletic play as they expect total sales growth of almost 12%. They like Nike's product innovation, their growing strength in direct-to-consumer and international gains, specifically in China. You can see the stock is down about 1.2%. Salesforce gets a downgrade to equal weight at Morgan Stanley. Target does remain $275. Analysts continue to see double-digit growth potential, Scott, to the tune of $40 billion in revenues by 2024. So the firm doesn't believe that margins will improve in the near term as the company continues to prioritize that growth. And Costco is named a favorite holiday season retail play by Oppenheimer as the firm sees it reaching 400 within the next 18 months. By the dip, analysts say it's about 3% off its all-time highs, and they expect that it should continue to benefit from strong consumer demand for paper products, food, and consumer electronics. Scott. All right, Rahel, appreciate that. Thank you. Weiss, you want to talk about Nike quick? I think it's one of the best global brands and managed companies out there. I'd love to own it. This is the kind of stock you buy in a market correction. Too expensive up here. All right. We have more trades ahead as we head to break. Take a look at two stocks hitting all-time highs today, T-Mobile and DeVita. We're back after this. Welcome back. Let's do the futures outlook now. NASDAQ extending its gains this week. The broader market moving lower. Let's bring in Brian. Stutland has the trade for us there. This has really spack Brian in the debate over growth and value. It, it has been. And obviously the vaccine news was bad for growth, good for value. We're starting to see that trade unwind and reverse itself as we're getting more governors wanting to lock down in certain forms or whatnot. So that's been good for the NASDAQ. I don't know if that's necessarily good for the whole market. But if I'm going to play it, I'm going to do a little wait and see here. I'd like to see the Nasdaq trade above 12,100 on the December futures contract. If we get above there and close above there, I think it goes to 13,100. Some of the technicals would suggest that happens. On the downside, I put a stop down at 11,600. But the Nasdaq, Scott, has been so volatile. I'm going to use micro contracts, which are only two bucks a contract. So here, I'm risking a lot less here. I'm only risking $500. To make a thousand to the upside, or two thousand. I'm sorry, risking a thousand to make two thousand to the upside on a two to one payout. But basically, Scott here, we got to see us get through the clear. All the market's going to go down if we start to lock down and we see cases rise here. But certainly, the unwind of the trade back into the Nasdaq seems to be in play. So if we can pop above that twelve thousand one hundred level, then I'm in on the Nasdaq. Yeah. Okay. I got it, Brian. Thank you. That's Brian Stutland. All right. Let's do unusual activity after this quick break. Markets turning pretty hard during our show. Doc, we're at the session lows now. Dow's down more than 300. You have unusual and you have a triple for us. Speaking of three, we got. All, all right, Scott. Uh, real quick, uh, canopy growth. Uh, this is one that was back in April, $9. Now it's all the way up to 24 
They're buying the upside calls 27 and a half out in December. Second one, Scott Rocket, RKT. Uh, with the stock at 21 and a half, they're buying the 2350 calls that expire next week. And SunPower, Nov 20s, Scott. These also expire next week. I bought all three today. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that, Doc. All right, Jenny, final trade. What do you got for us? Thank you. Total, 8% yield, short-term benefit from oil price stability, long-term benefit from their investment in renewables. Okay. Josh Brown? CrowdStrike. A uh, name you've owned, uh, and uh, you said at the top of the show you continue to like. Steve Weiss. Same prices, same prices. Disney. IFF, oh, I'm recovering so from the, the oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Josh, go ahead, quick. Same price as Disney, CrowdStrike. Switch one for the other. <laughs> there you go. All right, Weiss. <laughs> IFF, recovering from, from a missed quarter. Okay. And uh, John Nigerian. Park Hotels, PK, Scott, bought it during the show. Okay, guys, I appreciate that. Uh, let's note the market one more time again. We're at the lows of the session. We just showed you the Dow was down by a little more than 300 points. You know, value uh, upset yet again today. That does it for us. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.